Well, good morning, everyone. How many are so grateful for Ohio weather? Uh, you know, never boring. That's right. It is never boring and always exciting. But we believe spring is still in the air no matter what it's doing out there. Hallelujah. And how many are glad that we are heading toward Easter where we continue to celebrate our risen Savior? That's the most important thing. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together and open our hearts in prayer and begin to prepare ourselves for what he has. Father, we just thank you so much for all of the things that you're doing in our lives, your blessings that you're pouring on us, your healing, your provision, just as we're going to look here in the next four weeks, Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and King. We're so glad that that's who you are in our lives today. So we open ourselves up to that. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to change us, to fashion us, to shape us, to mold us, to do what you want to do in our lives. And we're ready to hear from you. We thank you for what you're going to do as you speak to your disciples today in this place. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's worship together. You're the light of the world. You step down into darkness. Dance with me. Dance with me, oh lover of my soul. To the song of all songs. Dance with me, yes. dance card and there's only one person on it Jesus it's the only one we dance with folks and we dance to the song of all songs which if you understand that song he's talking about the song of Solomon and that love relationship that we have with Jesus and if there's anything we need to do this at this time in our life and history we need to make sure that we're just dancing with him and him alone that he is our soul partner, our soul strength, because everything flows out of that. And isn't that, I'm in a discipleship kind of mindset here for last week and the next couple weeks here. And that's what discipleship is. The disciples got close. They came close to Jesus. And we got to get close to him and dance with him. Father, we just thank you that we could be in the presence of Jesus, that there is no more holy of holies that we have to run to. There's no temple that we have to go to. There's no priest we have to go to. That every moment of every day, we could be in the Holy of Holies with you. We have become the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did. So that's the presence that we want. We know that that presence is going to touch us, heal us, deliver us, strengthen us, provide for us. We don't care what shortages there are in the world. We don't care what's happening out there. We are protected and covered by you. And we are secure in you. And your presence is secure in us. So we thank you for that. We thank you for that touch. And we're going to continue to receive from you. Everybody who's struggling, not feeling well, sick, whatever it might be, we, uh, we thank you that you're the healing God and we could rest in that. We thank you and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, 
as a matter of fact, along those lines, as I had mentioned what we're doing here, next Sunday we're going to celebrate Jesus as our healer. And uh, I think that Sunday we're just going to open the altars up and we're going to have anointing oil for everybody. Whatever your need might be next Sunday, let's just come believing that God's going to touch, he's going to minister, he's going to heal. Uh, It might be a physical need, might be a spiritual need, might be a financial need, whatever it is. We're just going to be here to pray with you next week and believe that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's our healer. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Ushers, if you'll come. Praise his name. Hallelujah. And it is good to see everybody this morning in his presence. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence. We are so thankful that we can truly dance with you. The major religions of the world can't say that. In their religions, they are a God that is so far off in the distance that they can not even barely see him. But you're the God that has come close to us, and you are with us every step of the way, and we're so grateful for that. We know that you're going to take this offering, you're going to bless it, you're going to multiply it, you're going to use it for the furtherance of your kingdom, and we're going to reach out to those that are lost and in need, and we're going to praise you for what you're going to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you as you give. <clears throat> and you may take your Bibles and open them to, we started in Matthew, the fifth chapter, but I'm going to have you open to Luke, the 14th chapter for today. And we are talking about discipleship. And we mentioned that uh, as disciples, <clears throat> uh, we started in Matthew, the fifth chapter, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And we began, I'm sorry, teens, yeah, kids, you may be dismissed. Um, We started with um, the concept of the disciples, and Jesus went up to the mountain, and he sat down, and the disciples gathered with him first, and then the multitudes came as well. So, But first it was just the disciples that came and sat at his feet, and he began to teach them, and then the multitudes were there as well. But we talked about the fact that uh, disciples follow more closely than regular followers and in several places in scripture and that's what we're going to do today and probably next week is just run through and I think somewhere I think you have the outline do you have the outline like six okay you do have an outline okay we talked about the first two we're going to do the second two today and um giving a, a, Jesus gives a little more detailed description of what a disciple is and how a disciple functions and we mentioned that a disciple is different than a follower uh even, even in the vernacular, even in our, our world today, um, I, can, I can bowl and I can golf. But am I a bowler and a golfer? No. No. Uh, there are different levels of different uh, dedication, different practice, different desire, things like that. Uh, there was like the gentleman that was a, a real golfer. He was uh, out golfing with his buddy and they got to the last hole and he was standing on the green and he was about to putt and a funeral procession came by and he stopped, pulled back, put, took his hat off and put it over his heart and stood there and closed his eyes. After the funeral procession went by, the, the, his golfing buddy said, wow, he says, I, I didn't know you were that religious. I didn't know you believed in that kind of stuff. And he said, hey, show some respect. We were married for 40 years. That's dedication to golfing, right? <laughs> but but that, that's, that's what we see as a disciple. We are, we are dedicated. 
we are constantly practicing and we are moving in a deeper desire to be, to be closer with him. And, and the heart of the Father really is to make us disciples, not followers. Not far-off supporters, but up-close adherents. Not in the outer circle, but in the inner circle with him. And that's why I like that imagery so much in Matthew 5, where he sits down and it doesn't even say that he invited Come on, I'm going to talk now. doesn't even say that. He just, he came up to them. He sat down and they came up to him. And they just sat like, okay, he's going to say something. And, and so that's what we want to be. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 2, uh, you, you probably know the, the passage where Paul talks about the fact that in a master's house are different types of vessels. There are golden vessels and there are earthen vessels. There are vessels that are fit for the master's use. And there are vessels that are for dishonor, for more dishonorable things. He says, our goal is to be fit for the master's use. And and I like the word in the King James, meat, meat for the master's use. And it means fit or profitable to be well off in that sense. And so I believe that as we become his disciples more and more every day, he is making us fit. That is, he is creating in us a place to perform his work. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's making us ready for him to perform his work, like living stones being built together. He's making us capable. He's making us able. He's making us empowered and ready for the task. He's making us spiritually fit. Uh, I, I know it's, we're not being made physically fit, <laughs> but we're being made spiritually fit. Physically fit is important too. I, I, can, I can tell you everything you need to do to be physically fit. I can tell you the amount of calories you, can, you need to eat. I can tell you the exercises you need to do at just about every stage in your life. I can even take you to the, I was a, in, a, in the, a, the University of Cincinnati weightlifting club when I was back in college. I can explain all the weights to you. I can explain everything you need to know about being fit, but I can't do it. No, no, I'm sorry. I won't do it. Big difference. But to be spiritually fit, that's what we're doing. We're learning. We're learning spiritual exercise, are we not? We're learning spiritual diet. Our spiritual diet is the word of God. We're, we're learning what makes us. We're learning self-denial. If you want to become, a, a, if you want to become physically fit, you, you have to have self-denial. If you want to become spiritually fit, you have to have self-denial. We're going to see that in a little bit later. So he's doing that to make us capable, able, and empowered so that we can be of value to him. 2 Timothy, master's use, golden vessels of value to him. Why? I believe it's so that we can be spent on something else. We have value spiritually so we can spend that value on other people. God is building his treasure in these earthen vessels. Why? So we can look rich, so we can be comfortable, so we can live in blessing. No, so he can spend us on others. That's what the gospel is about reaching out to a lost and dying world. And, and remember the byproduct of being a disciple. We talked about this a little bit last week. As you bless, you will continue to be blessed. As you give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, so you can keep giving, so you can be that river. He's not going to ask you to give and not supply the need so you can give. That's what he does. He supplies the need so we can keep giving. So, we are sincere disciples that want to continue to seek him, and we're going to see two ways to do that today. We saw that a disciple last week means that you are continuing in the word, forsaking us. You're, you're continuing in the word, and you're forsaking all others. Continuing and forsaking. Today we're going to see bearing your cross and bearing fruit. 
bearing your cross and bearing fruit. Now we're going to study these together uh, because I have a sneaky suspicion that one flows from the other. If you're bearing your cross, you're going to bear, your, bear fruit. And if you're bearing fruit, it's probably because you're bearing your cross. So let's look at Luke, the 14th chapter. And uh, Jesus starts down, uh, again, this is, is similar to the same setting. He starts in verse 25. Great multitudes uh, went with him, verse 25 of Luke 14. And he turned and said to them, if any man comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, we talked about that last week, and brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he talks about building a tower and counting the cost. Or a king going to war and considering that. So verse 33, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all this, all that he has, cannot be my disciple. So that's the, the first element of it. And then flip over to John. We'll just cover all these verses very quickly here and then uh, put them all together for you. John, the 15th chapter. Again, very, very familiar passages. The vine, verse 1 of John 15. He starts by saying, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Talks about pruning. How many love pruning? <laughs> I'll, I'll tattle on him, but Pastor Grande said he went over to his mother-in-law's house and cut down some bushes, and he said, I almost died. He said, by the time I was done, he says, I was just ready to call the ambulance. I thought he'd be just laying in the front yard, come and get me and take me. We don't, it's not fun to prune, and it's not fun to be pruned. Either pruning is not fun. But verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in, in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me. We're talking about discipleship, abiding in him. He'll bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If any man does not abide in me, he is cast as a branch and withered. And they'll gather them up and throw them in the fire, and they're burned. That's our works being burned up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire, and it'll be done for you. By my Father, this is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So we're going to tie this in with another verse, flip back a couple chapters to the 12th chapter of John, and we tie this in with what he says here as well. Uh, the 12th chapter of John, we see that um, there were certain individuals, uh, verse 20, John 12, verse 20, they came to Philip, they said in verse 21, we want to see Jesus, and Jesus said in verse 23, the hour has come that your son should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Boy, Jesus was such a downer, wasn't he? Wow. Uh, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves this life will lose it. He who hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There he, my servant will be also. If any man serves me, him will my father honor as well. So we see this interesting relationship. I said all of those verses to say this. There's a connection between following, serving, and dying. Everybody say hallelujah. Following, serving, and 
dying. Now, let's first just touch on bearing much fruit, because a lot of Christians get stumbled over this. They think that in order to bear much fruit, they need to go preach like Billy Graham to thousands of people. They need to have a big ministry. They need to always be talking about Jesus to everybody they go to. That, that's, those things are part of it. But bearing fruit, remember what Jesus said? If you want a good definition of bearing fruit, they, they entered into the joy of the uh, presence of the Father, and they said, well, and Jesus said, well, you did this, you're in this presence because this is what you did. And they said, well, what did we do? He said, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was poor, you helped me. When I was hungry, you fed me. That's all that bearing fruit is, folks. It's not hard. It's just being Jesus to everybody around you. It's just allowing the Holy Spirit to tell you, hey, that person has a need. Why don't you go help them? Hey, that, 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 that person there has... It doesn't even have to be a Christian. I, I've said this before. <clears throat> if you want a real thrill in your life, if you want a real thrill, if you want to see something so exciting, when you're at the grocery store and you happen to see maybe an elderly person or maybe a, a, a young mother that has a baby in one arm and a baby in the buggy and everything, and she has her grocery bill of $27 or something like that, which now is just like one item. But anyway, <laughs> she has that grocery bill, and she's digging for a credit card or for her wallet. Just step up and go, excuse me, go ahead, I'll take care of this. And you watch the entire world explode around you. You watch what she does. You watch, and you don't even have to say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus because I'm a Christian. Just say, God loves you. God loves you and so do I. Get out of here. Watch what happens. That, that's all good works is. That's all the, what fruit is. Bearing fruit is very simple. You just do it. You don't have to go out sometime if we ever have spring here. You don't have to go out to an apple orchard and stand in front of that tree and say, grow apples. Come on now, grow apples. No. Spring kicks in, apple, the buds come out, apples start growing. Just do naturally what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. It's very simple. So don't get nervous. Don't get nervous about these two things of, of bearing a cross and bearing fruit. Uh, you'll find out that bearing a cross in your life is the most positive, life-producing thing you could ever do. No one's going to ask you to give up your house or your car or your spouse. Well, wait a minute. That, I, I was talking with somebody a while back, and uh, <clears throat> he, we were, we were at, at, an, at an event, and and he was standing there talking, and then uh, he said, oh, i got to go find my wife. I, I don't know where my wife is. And the other guy said, well, she left with another guy. And, and he said, well, her problems are over. <laughs> You'll get it a little bit later. So we're, we're not talking about giving up and sacrificing per se. We're not talking about a negative, self-debasing lifestyle. We're talking about learning to live a productive, yielded, joyful life in service to Jesus, doing what he says, and that's what bearing a cross is. So let's look at these two points very quickly here. First of all, we see that Jesus had said earlier, you've got to take up your cross, you've got to bury, you've got to bury your cross, and that makes you my disciple. So number one, bearing the cross. First, we have to understand, though, uh, the source of the cross. The source of the cross is Jesus. He's the source of the cross. Where did this cross come from? It came from Jesus. I didn't die on the cross first. Jesus died on the cross. I'm not supposed to die on that cross again. Jesus already did it for me. 
So that's why Jesus is very clear. He doesn't say, take up my cross. He says, take up your cross. So the way that we take up our cross is to take up our own cross, not his cross. If we all took up our own cross like Jesus did and died, there would be no more Christians to carry on the work of the gospel. The source and power of the cross comes from what Jesus did, not from what we do. Too many Christians try to crucify their flesh, crucify themselves, instead of carry the cross that Jesus has given them. You, Paul says, you were crucified with Christ. Past tense. Now you live, and the life that you live now is his life inside of you. So that's why he says, reckon yourselves as dead. How can you reconcile, reckon yourselves as dead? You can because you died with Jesus on his cross. Don't keep crucifying, keep reckoning. And everybody's looking at me like you've never heard this before. We do not crucify ourselves. We don't crucify the flesh. The flesh has already been crucified on Calvary. Jesus did it for us. Now I have the wonderful option in my life to choose to kill my flesh if I want to. I can reckon it, Paul says, count it as dead. So when, an, when a fleshly appetite comes up, when a desire comes up, I now, as a believer, have an option to say, you know, that attitude was crucified with Jesus. And I don't have to bear it anymore. I have that choice. Before Christ, out in the world, I didn't have that choice. There was only a couple choices. A fifth of whiskey, another woman, right? More money. There was only certain choices. Now I can look at that and I can say... I don't have to take that choice. So carrying your cross simply means that you are dying to self. Oh, you know what? I just, that was a silly sentence. I said simply means dying to self. (laughs) Actually, it is simple. It's just not easy. Right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to take up some great ordeal like Jesus did and crucify myself on the cross and have no place to put my head, foxes, and, and, and have no place to lie their head, and, and this and that, and, and Jesus, all those things. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to live my life every day, go to my 9 to 5 job, do whatever I'm doing every day, go grocery shopping, go to school, whatever I'm doing, and just simply saying, Jesus, I'm your disciple, so I'm going to listen to what you have to say in my life. And I'm going to follow you. That's all it is. I'm going to take my personal goals, my personal advancement, my personal importance, and I'm going to subjugate all of those things to Jesus, my Lord. And that is a lifelong task. But it's simply using the crucifixion that already occurred 2,000 years ago, and that has empowered me to follow him. Now, I know that this is hard for us as human beings because our flesh will always want to retaliate, strike back. Our flesh will always want to do the other thing. Did you ever notice that? Our flesh always wants to do the other thing. Not the thing that it's supposed to do, but the other thing. Our flesh will always want to do it my way. Not the right way, my way. Uh, I have been uh, subbing... Uh, a couple of days a week at this one particular school, and, and the class is, is all behavior, uh, behavior, behavior children, young kids, 12, 13 years old, with behavior problems, not Down syndrome or anything like that, but just, just strictly behavior. And uh, I sit there and I watch the, the teacher teach, and I just sit in the back, and, and I, just, I, I just stare at these kids, and I think, 
All you have to do is what the teacher tells you to do. That's all you have to do. You don't have to think. You don't have to plan. You don't have to, you don't have to get off the bus and think, okay, wait a minute now, I need to get my high school diploma, so I need to take English, and I need to take math, and I need to take this. All you need to do is sit in class and watch the teacher. And when she hands a piece of paper out to you, you fill the paper out, and you hand it back in. That's all you got to do. Do you know how simple that is? Do you know how we can't keep those kids to shut up? They have to open their mouths constantly so they don't hear the instructions. They always have a better way. They always ask the three-letter word, why? Okay, everybody sit down. We're going to do, do this math, math program, math thing right now. Why? Why? Now, the teacher, the poor teacher just gets so exasperated by the end of the day. And so a couple days ago, she just was totally wrung out like a dish rag, just wrung out. <clears throat> and she said, that's it. For the next two hours, if anyone talks while I'm trying to give instruction or while we're trying to do something, your name is on the board, three strikes, you're not going to gym. Now, I'm the one that takes him to gym. And so I said, excuse me, Miss P. What was your call? Uh, I'm taking the good ones to gym? And she said, yes, the rest are staying here with me. I said, I guess I'm shooting hoops by myself then. Because <laughs> the rate we're going, I'm going alone. So they actually did quite well. And, and so there's a young guy sitting next to me. He's 13. And, of course, all of them want to be NBA players and play in the NFL, Right? That's where they're all headed, because they're that good. So <clears throat> he was done with his work early, and so I thought, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jot him a note. So I wrote him a note, and I said, if you were offered a million-dollar contract in the NFL, could you keep your mouth shut for the first three-hour practice? He wrote back, and he said, yes. And then he said, wrote, BTW, by the way, I want to play in the NFL. In other words, I don't want to do this, but I want to play in the NFL. And then I wrote him a note back, and I said, but you do understand that you have to graduate from high school first. And he wrote back, yes, I know. <laughs> then why don't you shut up? Listen, this is why. This is why. A true disciple understands that they can enjoy the journey, and unless they enjoy the journey, they will never reach the destination. Unless you learn to enjoy the journey, you will never reach the destination, any destination. So, if you want to play in the NFL, guess what? You have to learn how to enjoy high school because you're going to have to graduate. You might, not need, you might be so good, you might not need to go to college. But most of them end up going to college, too. But you're going to have to learn to enjoy the journey and do what you're told. Shut up and do what the teacher tells you. Do you realize that she has your entire future in her hands? She knows everything that you need to do. She has it charted out for you. All you have to do is to fill out the blasted papers that she gives you. Do you know that Jesus has it all plotted out for us right here? 
All you have to do is just, I can't use the word blasted in relation to this. Just do what this says every day. You don't even have to think. You just open up and go, oh, okay, I got it. Oh, okay, got it. Oh, I'll do that. Okay, got it. You don't have to chart your own course. You don't have to plan your own destiny. You just get up every morning and just read a verse and just do what it says. That's what a disciple does. A disciple does not say, yes, I want to arrive at that destination someday, but I don't want to do any of this stuff in the meantime. That's not a disciple. That's a follower. Because a follower all of a sudden will hit a brick wall and they're done. A disciple says, I want that, therefore I want every step that the master tells me to take all the way to that point, and I will not stop until I get there. And by golly, I'm going to grit my teeth and enjoy every bit of it. So, we take up our cross, our cross, my cross, and that's the source of the power, which is Jesus. The second thing is, we have to understand, though, the outcome of the cross, and it's so important. When I bear my cross, I treat my own personal will as inert and inactive until it is submitted to his will and plan and purpose. We activate only what he tells us to activate. We fill out a paper, only the paper that he tells us. We hand in this sheet, only the way he tells us to hand it in. We do it that way. Now, that does not mean that you walk around like a monk. It doesn't mean that you walk around in total suffering all the time or that you act oppressed or that you're constantly laboring. It simply means that you treat your personal will as dead. Lord, you take control. You pursue my life with me, and I will let you interrupt me any time you want to do whatever you want me to do. This cross may be a certain ministry, a certain work, a calling, a burden. It may be a gift. It may be a spiritual responsibility that demands sacrifice on your part. It may be just learning to follow him every step of the way all the time. Bearing the cross is not merely enduring personal suffering. Or If it was just personal suffering, then everybody in the cancer ward would be godly. And that's not what it is. It's not suffering. It's doing what the word tells us to do. For example, when someone mistreats you and you forgive them, you just bore your cross. When a loved one hurts you, but you still pray for them, you just bore your cross. When you give a cup of water to an enemy that hates you, you just bore your cross. When someone despitefully uses you, but you bless them, you've just bore your cross. The outcome of taking up the cross of Jesus is saying, I belong to him. I belong to Jesus. So, you know, understand this. Jesus was on the cross long before he went to the cross. He lived a life on the cross. He lived a life. His hands were already pierced. His feet were already pierced. His side was already cut. He was already dead long before he got to the cross. Because he said, I only do the things that the Father tells me to do. I only watch him. I only see what he tells me to do. He lived a crucified life. Folks, it's easy to label oneself a Christian, but it's much more difficult to be Christ-like, isn't it? So the third thing about this is that we then have the characteristics of the cross. We have the source, and we have all of the blessings that come from that, and then we also have the characteristics of the cross. You'll be submitted to his plan 
and purpose. And, and let me clarify, it, it's not as much what car you drive, what house you live in, what side of the city you live on, what job you have, but his overall purpose of using you to be his instrument of blessing. We are vessels of honor. That's what we want to be. So whether you work at GM or you teach school or you play pro sports or whatever, you're a vessel for him. Whether you drive a Ford or a Chevy, you're a vessel for him. He will always give you what you need to complete the task as you are his vessel. You will live your life like a dead man. That's the purpose. And you know what? No one can go where he desires when his feet are nailed to a cross. No one can selfishly serve himself when his hands are stapled to a tree by spikes. You're dead now. You're, you're now in Christ. You are dead to the world and you're alive to him. There are many, many, many people that ascend the awesome crest of Golgotha. They stand and they watch the appalling spectacle. They leave the place of Calvary with unbloodied feet and unpierced hands. But not so with the disciple. The disciple says, that's my Lord, and I've got to be with him to the very end. Jesus remains our focal point. The cross is the center of that focus. I want to take up my cross and imitate him and accept the center of his power. Only at Calvary can we truly learn how to love. Not in the arms of some perfumed woman or handsome guy, but in the whip-striped arms of a broken Savior. Only at Calvary can we learn to pray. Not the selfish, spoiled child prayers of a self-seeker, but the dying to self prayers that Jesus prayed through broken, bruised, and scab-encrusted lips. At Calvary, we learn to pray forgiveness, and we learn to pray blessing. Only at Calvary can we learn how to have true peace. Not the short-lived, empty peace that comes from possession or status, but the long, deep, strong, eternal peace that comes from knowing that we belong to a crucified and risen Savior. Only at Calvary can we learn how to rejoice. Not the plastic praise and the imitation joy that we sometimes manufacture, but the high-flying, high-eagle-winged joy unspeakable that lifts us out of our turmoil, lifts us out of our difficulties, causes us to rise above our pain from shades of night to shades of light. Listen, folks, only at Calvary can those things happen. You can get to heaven without stained glass windows or tall church steeples. You can get there without shouting. You can get there dressed in rags. You can get there with no money, but you can't get to glory without a cross. Can't do it. It's the cross of Calvary that is our source. It's our spring of life living up. It's the most incredible and bizarre aspect is that the instrument of death is the very instrument that brings a wellspring of life into all people. The cross is the maker of everything good in us. It's the breaker of everything evil in us. The cross is the cleanser. It's the sanctifier. It's the justifier. And as we bear our cross and submit to his plan, he will inevitably bear much fruit through our death into his life. Now, everybody could bring a sigh, breathe a sigh of relief. We made it through the cross part. Bear much fruit, then he says in John 15. You keep abiding in me. You keep yourself inside me. You keep your cross in your heart. <clears throat> then guess what? You're going to bear much fruit. First Thessalonians 4, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received us, how you ought to walk and please God, so you could walk and abound more 
and more. Second Corinthians 9, uh, oh, I love this verse. You can count them up yourself the way he says it. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. I don't think there's anything I could do in my life that could replace that. I want all his grace. I want all his sufficiency. I want every good work that he's going to have for me. You see, when that father, when the father sees that submitted child and he sees that vessel of honor, that's, he says, that's the one I'm going to use. That's the one I'm going to use. And I'll give him everything he needs for his life. Abundance. Abundance. We, we talked about it a long time ago, I think. I won't, I won't bore you with it again. The abundance of a kernel of corn, right? Heard that before. You plant one kernel, it sprouts another uh, stalk with three more ears with hundreds of kernel. Each one of those kernels, by the second or third season, you've got millions and millions of kernels of corn. And that's the way God works. God wants to do something abundant in you. He wants to do something in you above and beyond which you can ask or even think. He doesn't want to just make you a conqueror. He wants to make you more than a conqueror. He doesn't want to just help you. He wants to be a very present help in trouble. He doesn't want to just fill you. He wants to fill you to overflowing out of your bellies. He doesn't want just a trickle. He wants a stream flowing out of you, a stream of living water, rivers of living water, not just a bubble, but a spring springing up. He wants blessings to overtake you, to to persevere, uh, to preserve you, and to overtake you, and to go before you, and to go after you, and to go all around you. And it all happens when we're his disciples, when we take up that cross. I love Acts, the 15th chapter. It's so beautiful. The Council of Jerusalem, you could read it when you go home. The Council of Jerusalem was facing a dilemma. The gospel had, has, had exploded among the Gentiles. Paul began to preach to the Gentiles and Peter, and all of a sudden, Greeks and Romans were getting saved, and, and the Jewish Christians didn't know what to do. Uh, should they follow the Old Testament? Should they not follow the Old Testament? Should they be circumcised or not circumcised? What do we do? We don't know what to do. And, and, and so they gather together in Jerusalem, and, and James stands up at the end, and he quotes Amos, the, the, uh, the ninth chapter, Amos the ninth chapter, and he says, everything that we're seeing, brothers, all of this fruit that's coming from the crucifixion of Jesus until now, all of this fruit was spoken by the prophet Amos who said, in that day, I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. I will wall up its breaches. I will raise up its ruins. Behold, the days are coming when the plowman will be overtaken by the reaper and the treader of grapes will be overtaken by the sower of the seed. There's coming blessing to the entire world that, you, that we can't even conceive, all because that seed of Jesus was planted in the ground and died and burst forth in life. And now millions and millions Millions of other seeds are being planted in the ground and bursting forth life. And those seeds are in this building right now. And he wants to burst forth his life inside of you and bless millions of others around you. All for those who live a crucified life. So I don't know about you, but I want to live a crucified life. I want to bear my cross so that I can bear great fruit. But this is reserved for disciples, reserved for disciples.
I believe that the Lord, and I've said this before, I believe the Lord has brought the church through a great weaning, or great, great uh, uh, weaning away, a falling away. I believe that he has sifted the church in, in the world, all around the world, especially in America. And I believe the ones that are remaining right now are those ones that are saying, I, I want to take up a cross. I'm going to take up a cross. I'm going to bear my cross. Too many believers have already fallen back. But there are those that are pressing in. And I don't know about you, but I want to press in more and more. I want to press in all the way because I want in my life, in my life, I want the plowman to be overtaken by the harvest. I, I want to be plowing for him and then looking around me thinking, wait a minute, the harvest is already happening. <laughs> I, I, I want to be treading out the grapes and suddenly realize, wait a minute, they're pouring more grapes in. What's going on here? Where'd the grapes come from? It comes from his abundant harvest because when that seed falls to the ground and dies, it brings forth abundant fruit. And that's what we want. So as his disciples, never worry, never be afraid about giving up anything for the kingdom because what do you give up for him? He'll give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will men pour into your bosom? Whatever you yield to him, he will give it back. Jesus himself even said that whatever you give up for the kingdom of land, of family, and of things, it'll be given back to you 30, 60, and 100 fold, not only in this lifetime, but in the age to come. So it comes back to us in this lifetime and in the age to come. Wow. Eternity of blessing for those who call themselves disciples. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you that we could be your disciples. And it, it is not an easy journey. It's a simple journey. We just keep our eyes on you. We don't need a degree. We don't need anything fancy in our lives. We don't need a personal guru to help us. We just keep our eyes on you. We keep our eyes on the word. And then, Father, as we put that into practice, we discover that anything we give to you as a disciple to bless your kingdom, you give back to us again and again and again and again. Our cup just keeps running over. It keeps running over so much that it spills out on everybody around us. And we wonder, how in the world could so much life come from my death? How, how could so much abundance come from my poverty? How could so much blessing come from my need? How, how, could, I, how could I reach so many people with blessing? And I, I don't even know how I'm doing it. It's because you're doing it through us, your disciples, your disciples. Help us to make that our goal in the remainder of the time that we're here to be your disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. I love, I love. Say that to him. I love your presence. Say that one more time as his disciples. I love, I love. I love you, Jesus. I love, I love. I love your presence. I love your presence. I love, I love. Oh, you love him. I love you, Jesus. 
That's what it's all about, just saying that to him every day, welcoming his presence. How many, how many want to be a vessel of his presence every day? Every day. Father, make us a vessel of your presence every day. We know that some days that's going to be easy. Some days it's going to be tough. But as your disciples, we welcome you in your presence every day. We thank you for it and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go praising him, his disciples. Follow him. Follow him.